Welcome back to the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast presented by BrotoFantasy.com. I'm your host, Tim Petrop, with my brothers, the only two twins that give you double that fantasy goodness, Michael and Jason Petrop. We are back. The NFL draft is over, which means fantasy football season has officially begun. I am your host, Tim Petrop, here with the rookie encyclopedia. That's the name. That's the name I'm going with, and no one's really adopted that, but I'm going with that. That's just how I'm doing it. And the director of content and the lead writer of BrotoFantasy.com and the Fantasy Football by Broto app, Mr. Matt Ward. What's good, Matt? It's good, man. Uh, happy to be here as always. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm just gonna have to start putting that in my social media bios now. <laughs> it's too good. So we're you're on the right show. The twins obviously are not here today so if you're expecting to hear the smooth sultry voices of the two twins <laughs> um you are you're going to be a little disappointed but um don't worry we have the draft coverage for you because the twins you know the twins not being on the show is actually a good thing because the twins are always keeping me to a time limit like something behind the scenes is like they wanted to be at a, an hour and they're all about that hour and I, I i'm not very good at keeping it into that hour but me and matt don't give a bleep about that so <laughs> we're gonna take this all the way because look i the last few days i've been really really soaking in draft content i, I just happened to have a day off work today uh uh, uh it is eid for our muslim uh listeners happy eid to you uh eid mubar as, as you say and um i have a day off work today so i've been really like trying to get as much draft content in this weekend and like i've been and everyone's doing the same thing. Everyone's doing, who are your winners? Who are your losers? What's this? What's that? And there's no one really giving a, a really detailed look, fantasy-wise, especially at each team. And if there's a team of two guys that are more prepared to do that than me and you, then please let me know because I don't know them and I don't think they exist. So we're going to have that conversation and we're going to have it for you guys. And the reason we love having conversations like this is because of our patrons over at patreon.com slash Fantasy who support the show and who support the number one app for fantasy football dominance. That is the fantasy football by Broto app. There's so many things you can get on the app, including all of our rookie breakdowns, which I've been, I've been on Broto today. I've been on a uh, Broto content stuff today. Matt's been on Broto content stuff today. He has a, a an article about the first, First round today, second round tomorrow, third round the next day. Just a little preview. And on top of that, it's going to be available on the website while we're recording this. So in the past, if you're listening to this. So you will have um, some draft content on the app and so much more. Every single stat you need, comps for every single one of these rookies, which Casanova's been on it, our mathematician, mathematician, I like to call him. And he already has their draft capital in baked into their comps which does change things so go check out the comps go check out the rookie stats go check out the usage stats so you know how many carries is Brees hall actually going to get we're going to talk to you about that today and we're going to and, and you could see it from the numbers so everything you need is on that app and it's absolutely free the fantasy football by brodo app i'm not very good at, at ads i've, I've noticed it always, they always just become conversations but i feel like if you listen enough then it becomes <laughs> If you haven't downloaded the app by now, like, come on, man, it's free. Let's get it. Let's get it going. If you're listening to this, you don't download the app, like, go do that. Put this on pause. Go do that. And then yeah. 
not only is the app a proven <laughs> success tool for fantasy football, but for those that don't know, it'll get you drafted in the first round of the NFL. Shout out Cole Strange. Ooh, that's that's a good uh, that's a good one. We have a, a an interview with Cole Strange. Uh, shout out Luke, our UK correspondent. We are Brodo International, baby. Uh, he had that um, done. Yes. Yeah, so, look, Matt, I know that you did a lot of work anticipating these prospects looking at them, where they're going to go, where their best landing spots would be. And finally, I, I know for me in life in general, when you're looking forward to like an event and then all of a sudden, like so long, and then all of a sudden that event is in the past, it gives me like this, this feeling of like, okay, we're past this point And now I can kind of think a little better. So now that we could think a little better um, about this, um, it was a crazy draft. And the not craziest to be draft. The craziest. And we're going to go through every team, so not to be too cliche to start, but who do you think had the number one draft, in your opinion? Right off the top of my head, I might say it was actually the Eagles. I think yeah, the Eagles think got great value. I think the Eagles got great value everywhere. Um, they got A.J. Brown uh, as part of a draft deal trade. And, I mean, there's something to be said, too, about, about your boys. I, I think the Jets had a phenomenal draft. There's, there is a pick that I think we'll get to later that I wasn't enamored with, but I, I think the Jets did really, really well. The Texans did well by just essentially trading back as many times as humanly possible to acquire – you know, when, when your team need is every position, that's how you should probably attack things. So yeah, there's a, there's a few of the um, lower rated teams or some of those basement dwellers that I actually think did really well and, and should have an opportunity to turn their franchises around. Um, and I really like what the chiefs did too, that the chiefs added a bunch of defensive pieces. They got the receiver that they wanted. That was at one point, <clears throat> predicted to go as high as the first round so for a team that is already the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes and even though losing Tyreek Hill I think they did a really good job to keep that team arguably the best in the AFC it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out uh, a lot of strange a lot of wide receiver rooms that got addressed but a lot of wide receiver rooms that that didn't um not to I, I agree the Jets and we're going to talk about all these teams but I want to go straight to my loser you mentioned that the Texans did a good job trading back um I want to I, look. I, I, I'm really having a trouble trouble accepting the the narrative that's out there that trading back in the draft is a good idea, because from what I saw and from looking at these teams and going over every move, every single thing that I liked was a team that traded up to get a guy that they wanted to get a guy that fit. There's no point to me unless you're the Houston Texans. I think the Texans are, are, are a rare case where. They're in a complete rebuild. They need everything. So they need to get as many picks as possible in deep draft. But if you're a team like the Patriots, man, Bill Belichick sucks at this. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to say that. All right, everyone. All right, everyone who's going to kill me for saying Bill Belichick sucks at something. The reason why you can't tell that he sucks so bad at drafting is because he drafted the greatest quarterback one time, but he passed on him six times. I just want to put that out there. All right. So Bill Belichick didn't even know that, that Brady was going to be the greatest quarterback of all time. He just drafted him. He gets credit for that, but they're, you know, caveat. But the Patriots have not drafted a difference maker in years. In years. It's been a very, very long time since they drafted a solid difference making player, especially a skill position player. And they continue to waste away their draft capital by trading back and then reaching. 
they they claim to be adding value by trading back and then they completely crush and disintegrate the value that they just got by taking a guy like Cole Strange that you could have at least got a, a round later, at least a round later. What is the point? And the, and the greatness of Bill Belichick covers the fact that he's not so good at the draft because he's the best coach ever and he's the best mid-game coach ever. I've, as a Jets fan who has to play the, the, the Patriots two times a year, I can't tell you how many times decent Jets, Jets teams, like pretty good Jets teams, took the Patriots to leads in the, in, at halftime and then got completely blown out after halftime. That's just what Belichick does. He is the best adjuster ever. I mean, look at the look at the the world the, the World Series, the Super Bowl against the Falcons. Twenty-eight three. <laughs> but Jesus Christ, does this guy suck at drafting? And it, I I just can't I it just it it boggles my mind how every time he does it, every single analyst is just like, oh my God, there's the genius, Bill Belichick again, doing this and doing what are you talking about? This has never worked. Not once. Maybe one time. He drafted an offensive lineman, Logan Mankins. Logan Mankins he drafted when no one thought he should take Logan Mankins. And Logan Mankins ended up being a good player. Just because he did it one time does not mean he could do it a hundred times in a row because he never, he's never done it again. And it's the guys he passes up on to draft these guys as well. Everyone thinks about passing Nikhil Harry instead of DK Metcalf. Right? Everyone, everyone thinks about that. But there's so many. Sony Michelle instead of Nick Chubb. Sony Michelle over Nick Chubb, which, by the way, Nick Chubb was the starting running back at Georgia over Sony Michelle at the time. Yeah. Sometimes, man, like Bill Belichick, he has a flaw. And that flaw is that he's kind of a dick and he's kind of pompous. And when he, he kind of, you, you could kind of, he thinks he's smarter. He thinks he's smarter than everyone else. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, he is. But, but when it comes to the draft, he's got to just kind of like, chill out with this shit because he sucks at it. This is so bad. Bill Belichick, the coach, very good. Bill Belichick, the GM, not so much. Yeah, man. And that, that whole organization is really weird because, like, there's, like, like, four coaches in the entire building. Like, it's just these are the, these are the New England <laughs> Belichicks. Well, it's definitely a – it's certainly a product of, like, bashing your head against the ceiling, right? There's literally nobody above him that can tell him otherwise. So he – can just keep doing this and getting away with it as long as the Patriots keep winning. And it's kind of just masked with winning culture. And I guess that that's, that would be my, my argument against it is like, maybe we're all wrong because he does keep winning games, but there's definitely um, no, no way that four out of the five players that he reached on wouldn't have been available around later. Like that there's, uh, yeah, you kind of nailed it. There's something to be said about like what the Texas did where you, you trade back as many times as possible and then literally just take the best player available, regardless of position. And then there's doing what the Patriots did, which is trading back, trading back and then trading up for (laughs) the worst player available at the position. It's, it was, it was mind boggling. We'll talk more about the exact teams, uh, Let's let's start it right now. Um, I think that's that's the way to go. Uh, we'll go in we'll go in alphabetical order. Uh, an easy one to start, but one that I'm excited to start with because you have been a very big supporter of the Arizona Cardinals tight end, newest Arizona Cardinals tight end, Trey McBride, who was taken with the 46 pick. Um, and we're only going to talk fantasy in this one. This was not going to we're not going to break down defensive guys. Uh, so we're going to be very offensive minded. Although there are obviously going to be some impact defenders that impact fantasy football in general, but it's going to be more offensive minded. Uh, they also took, 
I'm going to start the Kiatani Ingram from uh, USC, the running back in the sixth round. But let's talk about Trey McBride here, 6'4", 246 pounds. The bet you, you say, and again, I'm going to say this one more time, I took in a lot of draft content over, the, over this. The last two years, Matt has given the best draft content there is. And you had him as your number one blocking tight end and your number one receiving tight end. Uh, uh, a nice addition to the Cardinals. What do you think? Cardinals had made a really strange move in the first round that kind of they're just really they're overloading. And we talked about this during our, our mock drafts is there's nothing wrong with overloading. Like it's I don't you know, PFF makes all of those terrible memes about like who could stop that offense. Well, who can stop that offense? Zach Ertz, DeAndre Hopkins, Marquise Brown. James Conner adding Trey McBride. So yeah, I love the move, but for McBride's rookie season, it's not going to be the best for fantasy. I mean, he's going to spend a lot of time in two tight end sets unless Ertz is hurt. Um, I still think, especially with the way that they allocated their money to extend Ertz. um, I think he's still going to be an impactful part of that offense, but he's also getting up there in age and, something we've talked about a lot is that rookie breakouts for tight ends are really rare and you don't really see tight ends start producing until year two, year three. And that's kind of where you can draw the line of the superstars in the sand, so to speak. So I'm not overly worried from a dynasty aspect. Um, It literally did not adjust McBride's rankings for me at all. Um, But his rookie season, I don't think is we're going to see the potential ceiling that we would have seen if he landed somewhere like, Indianapolis and we'll get yeah. to that as well <laughs> yeah for sure I, I think for him I if you, you want to see him produce as a rookie but in fantasy you can't really produce as a rookie I think this is a good spot for him in the future like if you're in a, in a dynasty league and you're looking for a tight end not necessarily it's going to produce now someone that you can maybe keep in your taxi squad for for a year and you know he's going to learn under one of the best receiving tight ends who did a lot with a little Zach Ertz like Zach Ertz never jumped off the page athletically and Trey McBride definitely does so if he can learn from a guy who did a lot with a little like what can Trey McBride do with a lot? So uh, that that excites me uh, for the future, even though it's not necessarily a move that's going to be this year. It's kind of like a that's like a, a minor league move um, going into baseball. Uh, speaking of which, this has nothing to do with baseball at all. Let's go over to the Falcons. Um, the Falcons made Drake London the first wide receiver off the board in a deep wide receiver draft, but definitely one where there was not a consensus. Number one, um, they also take Desmond Ritter in the third round, trade up to get Desmond Ritter in the third round. And then they take Tyler Aguilar, who was a running back for BYU, running back in the Zach Wilson-led uh, offense. But Ritter is an interesting one. But Drake London is the one I want to talk about right now. How do you feel about Drake London being the first receiver off the board? And how do you think he fits in, in Atlanta? I mean, wide receiver to Atlanta, like wheels up. Uh, he's going to get 100 targets as a rookie just by a product of being the only one there. And one of the only one of the only options in an offense that is going to play from behind a lot because they did address some of their defensive you know, positions. Pardon me. Um, they addressed some of their defensive positions, but it's not like they didn't turn the entire room over and now all of a sudden have a top five defense that's only going to allow 17 points a game. So they're going to play from behind a lot. They're going to throw a lot. Um, they didn't really bring much running back talent in. Uh, Tyler Algier in the fifth round, who we like and, and is definitely an Arthur Davis type running back, but he's not like 
going to get 300 touches and just turn that offense into a smash mouth team. So yeah, I, I really like Trey Lund- or Drake London on the um, Falcons. I think it's probably the best landing spot for him from a draft capital dynasty perspective. It increases his value and puts his range of outcomes in a pretty elite tier. Like the amount of top 10 wide receivers that are six, four and 220 in the NFL are all very successful. <laughs> and it's, this team is what worries me about the Falcons is how they're going to get from the 20 yard line to the other 20 yard line. But when this team is in the red zone, Kyle Pitts and Drake London are going to be a problem, uh, no matter who's who throwing them the ball. Um, so I, I like, I, I, I agree with you. I think Drake London isn't my favorite. Cause I, I like rookie wide receivers in a down offense with down quarterback, even when they're the only one still is not something that I like to reach for in redraft in a dynasty completely different case obviously um because but but it's the it's the touchdown upside that really makes me kind of warm up to drake london and say hey even if it doesn't go all the way correctly even if he can't even if he does get doubled even if he can't separate even if this that's not what his game is his game is go up and get it and he's got another guy who they're going to have to give attention to so when you have those two guys together, one of them is going to come down with it. So that really is, is making my uh, Drake London radar go up as the time goes on. Um, and they drafted a quarterback that you like, Desmond Ritter. And I think that this is an underrated one. Desmond Ritter reminds has a lot of Dak Prescott in him, man. Like It's just like, you know, when Dak Prescott, he didn't jump off the page on any of, as, uh, of his rel- of like athletic stuff at his pro days and all this stuff. But what he did do, was he did everything good, and, and he was a leader, and he was a leader of men, and he was a winner. A lot of the same traits with Ritter, same round drafted in, and a, 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 a chance here because Marcus Mariota has shown us what he is. So if that team gets off to a bad start and Ritter's killing it in camp, why can't Ritter get the, the call? So I think Desmond Ritter here is someone who I love the landing spot, even though it went a little bit late. How do you feel about that? Yeah, same. Um, probably uh, other than Matt Corral, um, probably my favorite landing spot out of any of the rookie quarterbacks, Kenny Pickett included, regardless of the first round draft capital. Um, Ooh, I, spicy. Yeah. And I mean, obviously it's an asset and, and super flex leagues. Don't get me wrong. You're going to have to take Kenny Pickett first and he's going to hold more value because he has a pretty easy avenue to a starting role as well. But I genuinely think that there's an avenue that Desmond Ritter is the week one starter of the Falcons and that he holds immensely more upside in fantasy than Kenny Pickett does because he is similarly comped to Dak Prescott. And I, I don't actually hate that comp. I, I think it's kind of, you know, a well-rounded does everything well in his interview or, or actually like not interview, but the, the call that they made for him on draft night, that was basically what the, the Falcons cited. They were like, you know how hungry you were in Cincinnati, how you led all those guys that nobody believed into, you know, the playoffs and this undefeated season. And he's like, yeah, coach, I remember he's like, that's what we're going to do here. You know, so the Falcons, like, I do think that it's late and I agree with the grades that they gave these quarterbacks, but I also think that out of the four quarterbacks that we were all fawning over leading up to the draft, Ritter has legitimate potential to be the best one out of the group and start first. Like, I, I mean, other, other than Pickett, I do think Pickett will be the week one starter. Look, they're both going up against number two overall former picks, um, Pickett and, and Ritter. Um, but I just think that 
Trubisky is a little better than Mariota. Like I would, I prefer Trubisky. And I also yep. feel as yep. though, you know, I, I, I feel as though that look, the guy has a little bit more X factor than Pickett to me. I liked him better than Pickett coming out of college. And it, you know, I, I didn't love him to just, I didn't love any of these quarterbacks, uh, particularly Malik Willis, who, who ended up, who ended up falling, but I liked him. And there's something to be said also, like, I don't remember exactly where I read this, but there, but, there should be some, there is something to be said about the second round is not a place where QBs go ever there. I, I can't remember where I read it, but it's a, it was a really good article about how a lot of QBs value gets underrated because their third round picks, third round QBs are really second round QBs. The way that um, second round running backs are really first round running backs. Really first round running in, backs. Yep. You know what I mean? I, in that kind of, I know thing. the exact thing that you're citing and i can't remember who, where that's yeah. from either i know the exact article that you're citing but yeah, yeah and, I, I and it's it was something that it seemed like the nfl had agreed upon um that there wasn't a quarterback with a first round grade and i think the steelers yeah. even agreed upon that as well but put themselves in a position where kenny pickett was going to be the pick um so i actually like yeah. that i actually like that pick for them but let's go let's go to the in that division though let's get to the Ravens, who didn't do much in terms of offensive players in the draft, but they did trade away uh, Marquise Brown. So what do you think that means for number one, Mark Andrews, who <laughs> you traded me in the Dynasty League, uh, and then uh, also Rashad Bateman uh, next season? Um, I mean, they also drafted three offensive linemen and two other tight ends. So I think the Ravens are going to run the ever-living hell out of the ball, to be honest. Um, and trading away Marquise Brown – I think helps Andrews and Bateman's target ceiling for sure. Um, but I also think that last year's passing totals were an anomaly. And, and I mean, if you go to the Brodo app and check out the usage stats, they kind of were an anomaly. It was the first time in eight years that the Ravens had switched their um, preferences. So they ran more than they passed in every other season until last year when Lamar was hurt and, and it significantly. And yeah when Lamar was hurt um, and the defense was essentially, you know, 14 out of their 20 um, core defenders were on COVID or IR for multiple weeks of the season. And so the Ravens were in a position where they were playing from behind a lot, which with a defense like that and the culture that they've built, they don't often do, which allows them to run the ball more. And without Lamar, you're going to run the, or you're going to pass more because Lamar is a better runner than Tyler Huntley, even though Tyler Huntley is very athletic, like Lamar will take 17 carries a game where Huntley takes seven. So it, there's definitely a difference in volume. Um, and I think the Ravens are going to look a lot like they used to look. Um, but with that being said, it, it's Bateman to the moon for sure. Like, I mean, that he's almost guaranteed a, 100 to 120 targets. Same with Andrews. I actually think he's the wide receiver one. I would prefer Andrews over Bateman as a, the number one receiving option. And you should obviously draft that way as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, I, it, it changes the entire fun function of the offense, I think. I think getting rid of Hollywood kind of admits that they're not going to play that dump-off game. That, you know, and Hollywood had a good good depth of target. It, it's not like he was only a short, um, short yardage option, but 132 targets in a single season um, for, you know, somebody that had never seen that type of volume may have been an outlier, and we're all buying into the fact that Hollywood can definitely support that. Um, but my point being the Ravens getting rid of them kind of signifies that they are going to go back to a run first look. 
The Ravens are going to, as long as Lamar Jackson is the quarterback for the Ravens, I feel like the Ravens are going to be this recycling program of wide receivers where you're going to see this a lot where they're going to draft a wide receiver high to take the place of a wide receiver that's not going to be happy with his place in the offense. I think Rashad Bateman is going to be the next one to flash those those signs and then okay now it's time for me to move on and then they'll draft someone else. like this is this is going to be a revolving door um because this is just how the offense is like like matt was saying uh, when your your tight end is really your your wide receiver one let's go over to man this is the opposite of the texans we're talking about the texans filling up the buffalo bills what they did was they were like fuck these picks we are going to reach for our guys because we already have a great roster and we're going to trade up for our guys because we already have a great roster. They traded up for their, for cornerback in the first round, but the guys that people want to talk about here, trading up to get Georgia running back, James cook uh, in the second round, a guy who a lot of people did not expect to go that high. They, they get their man. But if you don't remember in the off season, they, they paid um, JD McKissick a hefty amount to come and be the receiving back. McKissick backed out, went back to the commanders, and now they are getting James Cook. So they know that there is a need for this role. And last year, uh, their, their two running backs combined for a, one of the worst running back combinations in the league on third down. So now you have that third down back, that prototypical pass catching back, and you have Khalil Shakur, who is a slot receiver. Uh, you have Jameson Crowder there. So I think Shakur is one of those guys who you know is going to be upcycled. But good news, I think, for Gabriel Davis. I know there was a lot of offseason chatter about whether Gabriel Davis is going to be something this season. So how do you feel about James Cook and uh, Khalil Shakur and how he's going to affect the wide receiver room? You made an excellent point with the way that the Bills had already attempted to fill that role out with J.D. McKissick with an established guy that they know they can plug and play on third down and toss checkdowns to um, at ease and know that he can tear off big gains. So bringing in a young guy to do that, I think speaks volumes. Um, again, Buffalo isn't a team that really uses the running backs in a traditional sense where they're not pounding the rock 21 times a game with, with a in between the tackle runner. Um, so for those that kind of are worried about James Cook's role there, that's not the role that he's being asked to do. He's going to be asked to fill a J.D. McKissick-esque role, um, an Alvin Kamara light, if you will, where he can play on all three downs so that defenses can't necessarily scheme and know that a Texas route is coming or a screen is coming on sh- third and short. He can play on all three downs and cycle in throughout with Singletary and Moss, who I actually don't think are going to be getting um, very much playing time now that Cook is there. And yeah, He's not going to get goal line work. He never really did in Georgia. That's what they had Zamir White for, but they also have Josh Allen in Buffalo. You have a six foot, you know, goal line back that also has a cannon attached to his arm. So there's going to be maybe some room for touchdowns. Uh, People might be upset about his scoring totals as far as his rookie season in fantasy and, and how many touchdowns he's going to get within the five yard line. But I think James Cook's a great PPR asset. And I had him as high as RB four uh, pre-draft and as basically stayed in the same spot. I still like Rashad white more than him, um, even though he's behind Lenny, but yeah, yeah. I think James Cook probably got arguably one of the best landing spots of any of the running backs. Yeah, facts. I, I agree with you. I think this is a good pick. I think you'll probably be overdrafted a bit if you're if you're drafting now. But if you wait and just let the draft hysteria die down and and draft in a, in a couple of weeks like the James Cook or, or if you draft if you're doing redraft, because, you know, that's what we're primarily talking about, um, usually on the on 
on the show, if you that's going to die down before your drafts in August. So uh, he'll he'll be a guy who's going to be a really valuable uh, late round running back that could pop. Um, on the uh, let's keep going, Carolina. Uh, their most important offensive addition was definitely Iki Aquanu. Uh, their first round pick who dropped to them arguably should have been the first overall pick. So a great pick there, but the guy that uh, Matt wanted to talk about here, uh, Mr. Matt Corral quarterback, uh, Ole Miss uh, he's taken in the third round. He's going to push Sam Darnold. They obviously are not happy with Sam there. Um, And if Matt Corral can beat him out, he doesn't deserve to play. Uh, So how do you feel about that? Do you think Matt Corral has a chance to start the season? And uh, if he does, do you think he'll be su- successful? Absolutely. And I know you're, uh, you think Sam Darnold still deserves a shot, but, but uh, man, that's my guy, man. <laughs> I, I think he's yeah. got, he got the shit. He was the youngest player ever. I mean, that's ever. Yeah. And he got the shit into the stick for four straight years. Anyway, I'm not going to go about it. You, you go. It's true. Tell us about I Corral. mean, he didn't. No, I mean, if, if you were to stack the deck, stack the deck in the worst way possible and ask a guy to try to succeed, that's essentially what the Jets did to Sam Darnold. Um, but uh, you, and the, you and basically... the Panthers, they fired their offensive coordinator 10 weeks in. And the Panthers, <laughs> worst, worst offensive line in the league. Like, he didn't get, get, it didn't get better. It got worse just because he had one receiver. Anyway, go ahead. Well, with all of that being said, I think that you kind of nailed it. The bar is basically already set. If if the NFL viewed that these quarterbacks aren't first round prospects and now they're putting them behind quarterbacks that as first round prospects couldn't succeed, uh, Sam Darnold, Mariota, Trubisky, right? So all of these kids are now behind first round prospects that weren't able to succeed and were told by the NFL just days ago that you're not a first round player. So the bar is basically set. If Corral can beat out Sam Darnold, he deserves to be there. And that means that not, not necessarily that he's going to be a high end fantasy asset right away. Um, but his value will certainly increase. Uh, you'll definitely, if you're going to do a draft, say a week before the season starts and you know that Matt Corral is the starting quarterback, he will be going in the first round of, of super flex leagues. So, and if, and, and exactly that. If he can't beat out Sam Darnold, then all of the scouts and all of the NFL was right that these kids are just backups, that every single one of them really are just backups. But we'll see how they produce when they get the opportunity. And there's also something to be said about how a team sets a player up for success. And Corral's not in the best situation for success, um, but there are some weapons on that offense and they did improve the offensive line and the defense is very young and very, very solid. And they also improved that side of the ball as well. So he's not in the worst position. It's just an uphill battle in a really tough division. So if Corral can beat out Sam Darnold and show any signs of success um, as a rookie, then Again, I think it's just proving that we have no idea how to evaluate quarterbacks. Yeah, I think, look, he didn't come from a pro system. And, well, luckily, he has two, He has a college guy calling his plays. Like, like it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's, it's a good spot for him. There's also so I, I, it's a very famous Carolina quarterback that won MVP that didn't come from a pro system. <laughs> that is very true. Um, yeah. So Cam, uh, I mean, Carolina has taken RPO QBs and, yeah. And, and yes, that was the Rivera. That was the Rivera offense, but it's, I mean, yeah. Cam played last year for them too. You know, Cam, they yeah, did it with Cam it's there. True. I mean, uh, it, yeah, so I, and, it's, and, and 
had quite a few rushing touchdowns as well. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. yeah, I mean, they Corral can succeed there. Um, and, and I think he absolutely, as we were saying earlier, has the opportunity to become the week one starter. So someone who's definitely going to be the week one starter is Justin Fields of the Bears. The only problem is I think that Justin Fields was one of the big losers of this draft. As I think about it more, they did nothing to surround him with any talent. They already had a pretty good secondary and they added a two second round, uh, you know, a cornerback and a safety, which, you know, I can't, you know, I, I can't act like I have studied tapes on this cornerback and this safety, but you know, if they're good players, you know, good for them. Um, but yeah. with that being said, I like they take Velas Jones um, in the third round who has a very um, specific, skill set he's a he's a, he's a <laughs> that's a really know, nice way of putting it tim <laughs> yeah <I> mean, <laughs> he's really good at kick returning too as they say um and then they added a running back in the sixth round i think to be but I mean, say it, they, they they drafted a 26 year old special teamer man that's really really what they did when they have arguably the weakest wide receiver room in the nfl sometimes bad teams just are going to be bad for a long time uh, speaking of a team that was bad for a long time, but it's not bad anymore. The Bengals did not choose anyone on offense, which is not a surprise. They've been addressing that offense for a few years now. So we don't have to talk about the Bengals uh, at this point. We'll be talking about them a lot. The Browns, on the other hand, take a guy who fell dramatically. David Bell of Purdue. A lot of guys like mm-hmm. David Bell. Um, I don't know if you were one of those guys who liked David Bell. I remember you writing about David Bell. Um, I remember you I like David Bell like, a lot, actually. Like, okay, he was, so tell me about his, his fit here. His value in rookie drafts was getting a little ridiculous when, you know, pre-combine, I guess. <laughs> you know, because once uh, once you run a 4-7, things kind of fall off. And again, it's wide receiver. Um, the predictability for success rate in wide receivers is not determined by your athletic scoring. It's one of the least predictive things. So athletic testing doesn't worry me as much when it comes to David Bell. He was athletic enough to dominate at Purdue in three consecutive seasons. Um, that tells me that he's a good football player. It tells me that he's a lot athletic enough in whatever sense he uses his athleticism, regardless of its straight line speed or something that you could find at a combine. He uses his athleticism in a way that he succeeds against good defenders. So I really like David Bell, and I think Cleveland's actually a phenomenal landing spot for him. Great they have spot. a fake alpha on the outside in Amari Cooper, somebody that's never had over 25% target share. Um They have Deshaun Watson, who, yes, questionable. Uh, We don't know if a suspension is coming or how that's going to play out, especially after the MLB cracked down on the Trevor Bauer situation. It could get a little ugly for Deshaun Watson um, if the NFL is looking to make an example of something like that. But we also know in the past that they are never concerned about making examples of something like that. So, you know, we have Deshaun Watson. um, We have a wide open wide receiver room. uh, We have the opportunity for a high functioning offense that's going to pass a little more, I think, than they have in the past with Baker Mayfield. So I I love that spot for David Bell. I, I, he immediately becomes the wide receiver too in that team, in my opinion. I don't think there's anybody tight ends or, you know, pass catching option even. And there's nobody on that team that's going to see more volume on the outside that isn't named Amari Cooper. I I agree. They call, they called me crazy for saying Baker might be a starting quarterback for the Browns week one this year. But, oh, as I we think creep it's, closer, it's getting more and more it, realistic. 
the only thing I would stop it would be Baker's provocative of, of saying like, listen, I don't have to play for you. Like I don't need does, to play. Though. He does though. Yeah, and, he and, does. Unless he and, wants dude, to be Johnny Manziel, he does. The argument you know, could like, be that his value has been driven down so far by the franchise anyway, that it's like, if nobody's even going to offer a seventh round pick for him, and, and this is hypothetical. I think that absolutely somebody would, um, but hypothetically nobody would even offer a draft pick for him. Then what's Baker gaining? You know, and then I guess it's kind of prove it, prove that you're worth it. So it's tough. I, I mean, I do, I do think that, <clears throat> I do think that he kind of is going to have to play. And if Deshaun obviously isn't available and isn't starting, then Baker's in a position as well where he has to prove to the NFL that he should be there. Yeah, but it's like uh, it's like when two people hate each other, but they got a kid together. It's just like, all right, we got to raise this kid. I guess we just got you just got to fucking deal yeah. With the, it for now. The, the kid is Baker Mayfield's <laughs> next contract. <laughs> like, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, they also drafted Jerome Ford and Michael Woods in the fifth and sixth round, a running back and a wide receiver. Um, unless you got something to say about those guys, let's move I, on to. I would have liked left. to have seen Ford go a little higher just for his uh, prospect profile to kind of round out because he was somebody that I liked. I'm uh, not interested in the other option <laughs> at all, but yeah, Ford's somebody that I like, but not in that, not in that room. I, I even don't like, I would prefer Dearness Johnson um, as a pure runner over Ford. Um, Ford doesn't really fit the Kareem Hunt role like that well. So it's kind of interesting to see how he would even um, excel in that offense, to be honest. It's interesting that they went running back there, considering uh, what what kind of running backs they already have on the roster. Um, let's go to the Cowboys, America's team. They get the offensive tackle that they were looking for in the first round, uh, and then they go wide receiver in the third round. There was some talk and some jabber around the league that there might they might go receiver. There was a lot of uh, anti Michael Gallup propaganda going on um, in the last week leading up to the draft, like. A lot of people were reporting that the, the Cowboys were not in love with Michael Gallup. So they go on, they get Jalen Tolbert. Um, he's a deep threat. Uh, he's, a, he's a guy who's going to stretch the field. So how do you feel about Jalen Tolbert? And what is your – first of all, dynasty response to this uh, is probably a lot better than your immediate response to this. But this is a guy who, if he finds his way into the field, maybe can make an impact this year. Yeah, Jalen's somebody that I really like, uh, somebody that I've been re was really high on. Um, wrote about multiple times uh probably one of my favorite sleeper receivers of the draft um his adp hasn't overly been affected by his landing spot which is actually kind of a disappointing thing because of the player that he is if he had one of those if he was green bay's later round uh receiver or if he had landed somewhere like kansas city because you know sky Moore was in that range as well um I think we would be a lot higher on Tolbert. Uh, crowded wide receiver room doesn't really excite me. I do still think Michael Gallup's really good. Um, but yeah, he, he's somebody that I, I really like. His production profile is phenomenal. He isn't a later breakout or a four-year player, rather, at a small school. So that it's a very small hit rate for a player like that. Um, but everything that we've seen and everything that he's maintained indicates that he falls into the bucket of players that do hit in that range. So somebody that I really liked is a third round pick and, and I'm still willing to invest that into him. Um, but not as excited about year one production for sure. He'll probably be the third option. Uh, I mean, fifth, if you're counting running backs. So that's, that's a little bit tough. Yeah. Maybe, maybe even the seventh, if you're counting tight ends in that, in that mix. Uh, well. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, exactly. So he's, he's, he's behind a, a, a lot of 
depth, a, a lot of talent, um, but somebody that is talented enough to win out over that depth. Uh, Denver is the next team on the list. They didn't really make any uh, impact. Their impact was to trade the number nine pick uh, and others for Russell Wilson. Uh, they do add Greg Dulcich, uh, a tight end from UCLA, uh, which, you know, that team obviously wants to play in two tight end sets. That's what they want to do. And they traded away their tight end. So they need a tight end. They get a tight end to replace them. Probably won't be uh, on your list for fantasy. So we can move on unless you want to say something. Yeah, we can move on to nah. the the Lions. The Lions uh, make a surprise move. You don't see the Lions getting aggressive in the draft. It was pretty cool to see the Tigers. I mean, not the Tigers. The, the, the Big Cats roar. Yeah, not the Tigers. The Big Cats roar and uh, kind of like, you know, get in there and make their presence heard, man. They get Aiden Hutchinson, which, dude, as soon as Trayvon Walker's name was announced on ESPN, it was like the pick is in. Like this this made a lot of people very happy. And then they trade up for Jamison Williams, who tore his ACL. But I thought he looked like a skinnier Julio Jones when I saw him play. He, did, he didn't show me anything that he's – look, he's big. He's not heavy, but he's fast. He's – he can go up and get it. He's a good route runner. He has all the tools needed. Um, he has a chip on his shoulder uh, because a lot of people were saying, like, oh, you know, he looks pissed to be drafted by the Lions. I don't think that's the case. I think that he got kind of forgotten in the wide receiver room at Ohio State, and then he had to watch Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave go one pick before him. You could tell that this guy is kind of just pissed about that. I like a guy with a chip uh, with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, he fits in the Lions locker room. I think Jameson Williams, obviously not for redraft this year until until much later on, but I think Jameson Williams is a great investment for the Lions franchise. Completely agree with everything, man. Uh, I would like to make a debate with you there, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I genuinely like what. Just I would reiterate everything you're saying, and, and I do think um, I do think that a bit of that draft reaction was him seeing his two teammates get selected before him when he Jamison Williams is the type of guy that he thinks he's the best receiver in the class. He's one like, it's not something that he thinks he knows he's the best receiver in the class. He's got that level of confidence and that level of chip on their shoulder. So yeah, I I expected, I do think um, especially kind of seeing the trade, like it went one, two, three, right. They all went back to back to back. So that was, I don't think it has anything to do with the lines. I think he loves getting that, that uh top 10 money and and uh getting a a wide receiver room that's essentially wide open on the outside like amon rawwell can maintain in the slot and i don't really think it hurts his value that much either um it's just going to be a better offense i agree better offense i I, I, 100 yeah um good fit speaking of better Speaking of better offense in the same division, the Green Bay Packers, I, you, I don't know how you could possibly say they're going to be a better offense, but they try their best when after selecting two Georgia, um, an interior linebacker and an interior defensive tackle, like, like interior guys from Georgia, very Packers-esque, um, they trade both of their second-round picks. They were, I don't, this one screamed Aaron Rodgers is going to murder us um, kind of thing because – in this draft, if you looked at if you look at the draft capital that was given up to move up in this draft, it was kind of cheap to move up in this draft. It was cheaper than years past. Like when you're talking about the Saints who gave up a future first round pick to get Marcus Davenport, like I think it was like like ten picks ahead. And then you're talking about you're talking about this year where where there was a lot of trade ups, like even into the first that round. That, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, it was a good day for the Jets for the for the Saints today. 
Um, but with that being said, they tr- they pay the price to get Christian Watson, um, receiver. Uh, now, Christian Watson was a very polarizing player. He's kind of skinny, kind of lanky, but no doubt about it, um, athletic. And he really he really breaks all these athletic scores. And he plays big on the field, but he also has some inconsistencies on the field, which is what bothered me about him. Uh, especially because if you're going to be inconsistent at that level, what you're going to now come to be Aaron Rodgers' number one target on the NFL level very quickly. Um, what do you? How do you feel about the landing spot here for Christian Watson, and how do you feel about his, his value fantasy? The Chiefs and the Packers were the two best landing spots for a wide receiver, so Sky Moore and Watson are going to get immediate bumps. Um, I like Christian Watson as a player. I think it's a great fit and obviously he's going to see a lot of targets but i think that you're kind of onto something too and it's not just the inconsistencies at that level meaning college but he played in a really weak conference at a small school program um at north dakota state um so for him to have separation issues at that level is definitely concerning when now you're essentially being asked to be shadowed by the best cornerbacks in the NFL on a week to week basis um, as the alpha receiver. So it's going to be a difficult road to success for him, but obviously Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback puts you in the best possible position to succeed. And if he cannot, then that's going to make that Packers pick look real bad when those trade-ups in the first to get those receivers were as cheap as they were. It's good. It's a lot of pressure on the kid. Um, you got the right quarterback. It's a lot of pressure. And, and they, they had no choice. Like they traded up for Watson. They had no choice that I, you said it, man. It was like, that was basically Rogers being like, you do it now or I'll just retire. Yeah. Or, <laughs> like, or, or I'll because they passed on dollars and then I'll it's retire. <laughs> been 20 years, 20 years since they they've drafted a wide receiver in the first round and they didn't again, or, or this year marked, you know, the 20th year. Um, and they didn't again, and there was some good receiver depth left on the board. Um, but that's almost a position that I would rather have seen them just trade back and grab Sky Moore and David Bell, or like, do you know what I mean? It's like, cause just one Christian Watson isn't the answer. You need a Christian Watson and get a David Bell or a Sky Moore. Like that wide receiver room is pretty broke right now, man. So and you can't really say like, Oh, what if the Packers feel like he's going to be a number one receiver? Cause if you listen to, to Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show, he said it would, what I wanted was to be part of the decision-making process. I am part of the decision-making process. And they told me in advance that they only have six guys rated as first-round wide receivers. Boom. He kind of told on them that they don't, they don't see Christian Watson as a first-round talent. Exactly. But they still traded two picks to get him. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he, how he does in that. Because, look, it won't take a lot for him to – burst on the scene and everyone be in love with Christian Watson and everyone do some Christian Watson victory laps. So we're going to have to keep an eye on Christian Watson um, during these preseason games and during the off season uh, and yeah, the mini camps, all, all that kind of stuff as time goes on. Uh, let's move on to our next team, the Houston Texans who, like you said, just stacked them picks. Uh, one of their better picks I feel like was John Mechie, the, uh, or Michi, uh, the third, out of Alabama. Uh, I remember hearing about this guy uh, last year and hearing about his draft prospects, and then he got hurt. 
And but he was killing college football. He's an Alabama receiver, so you don't get recruited to Alabama unless you're a top flight athlete. Uh, you know, the, the draft, there might as well be a draft. Uh, if I was in the draft room, I'd be like, when in doubt, Alabama, you know, like, Alabama. you know, or this don't year know was who, when in doubt, Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Or when in doubt, Georgia defense, you know, like, it's, it's just yeah. like, you know, if, you, if, if there's a, there's a type of guy go and you know, this is a good fit. They, they have a, they have a need there. So how do you, how do you feel like he does have a little competition with Nico Collins from last year, who was a, who was a good rookie. A lot of people don't give him any credit because he's on the Texans. But Nico Collins was good last year. Uh, Brandon Cooks is still in the building. Uh, Davis Mills is unproven. So how do you feel about him? I feel really good, actually. I think it's kind of an underrated pick, especially for fantasy purposes. Um, Collins and, and Cooks will both play on the outside. The Texans don't have a slot receiver. They ran the fewest snaps with the slot receiver um, on the field out of any team last year. So they that was a product of function or I mean, a product of necessity, I guess, rather than function. So Mechie is a slot receiver and he's like a slot receiver extraordinaire. He is, you know, give me the ball four yards off the line of scrimmage and I'll take it out of the house. So I really like Mechie and I think he's could become a good PPR high volume guy. Um, it's going to take a little bit of time because like you said, there is some competition for targets, not necessarily competition for the role. Um, and Houston is, they, surprised us last year by playing above their potential but they let's be honest they are still in a position where they're not really competing um the afc south is is a pretty weak division so they can win quite a few games um but they're not making the playoffs and they're and if for some miracle that they do they're they're not making a run it's just not in a position that that team's just not in a position where they can compete with the highest of talents in the nfl so i like mechie a lot and i like it as the potential kind of down the road play to not really feeling that Davis Mills is the franchise QB, meaning if the Texans upgrade a quarterback in 2023, you're going to see Mechie's volume and value increase to incredible amounts because he was a very talented player and he was arguably one of the top three receivers in the class um, prior to the season and getting hurt and things like that and, and kind of fell off the board. A lot of people had him ranked ahead of Jameson Williams um, before the 2021 season started. So I think Mechie's a good good fit and a, a player that I still like. Not somebody that you're going to really probably pick up and, and redraft right away or maybe attack late in best ball leagues, um, but a good stash for value in Dynasty as well. Uh, Matt, what do Instagram models and the Indianapolis Cole, Colts brass, uh, Chris Ballard and Frank Reich have in common? thick that was a good one but they like tall guys um they went oh, out and okay. they're just like you know you know those girls that are like if you ain't six three you can't date me like that like they got the tall yeah they guys. like they like tall dudes <laughs> yeah that they like tall, they, they got michael they got Ma michael Pittman last year and now they add alec pierce wide receiver from cincinnati 6'3, 210 pounds um Reminds me of Cooper Cup, if not for his skill set, for his uh, the whiteness of his skin. And then you have, <laughs> and then you have Jelani Woods, who you talked about, six seven, two fifty three, uh, in an offense that for sure uses the tight end for a quarterback that has used the tight end in the past. Um, interesting, interesting situations here. 
uh, for both of this team. This team obviously has a has a mold that they want their wide receivers to fit and their receivers fit, and these guys fit it. So how do you feel about Pierce and Jelani Woods going to the Colts? I feel good. Uh, Pierce's lazy comp, too, is like white Julio Jones. So I, I feel real good about that. He's uh, tested. He's one of those guys that tested way better than you expected by watching his film. Um, but it's one of those things that I talked about with David Bell is if a guy is athletic enough to continuously win, then testing doesn't really matter. But Pierce tested really, really well. And it was kind of the opposite effect where you didn't really expect that to happen. Um I like Alec Pierce. I like him in that offense. He's not somebody that I have a really high grade on, but I think that's a good landing spot. And I love Jelani Woods landing spot here. Uh, Mo Ali Cox is really the only active tight end on the roster. I think Jelani Woods could walk in day one and be better than Mo Ali Cox, but he needs to refine his blocking. He's going to get pushed around on the outside a lot when uh, the Colts want to run those uh, wide sets so that Jonathan Taylor can eat and, you know, kind of option zone inside or outside. He's going to have a bit of trouble there. Um, but that being said, Moali Cox is one of the worst blockers in the league. So it's not like the Colts seem to really care about that as much. Um, yeah, I mean, he's we've we've beaten the dead horse with this one, but he's like the most athletic tight end that's ever been tested, according to Math Bomb, uh, relative athletic scores, perfect 10.0 number one out of 2,887 or odd, you know, tight ends tested since the 1980s. Um, yeah, I, I genuinely think that if you're not getting Trey McBride in your rookie drafts, that Jelani Woods should be the next target. And wherever you would value a tight end to, you could take him as high as 3-1, as high as 212. but I'd have no issues with that. Um, yeah, and both, both those guys are 6'6 six, six and 6'7. Six, like, holy moly. Imagine well, Jelani Cox Woods is, is crazy, man. Molly Cox so, is not the tallest so tight big. end in the room anymore so which is which is nuts the Colts also got Bernard Ryman who PFF have gr- had a first round grade on in the third round offensive tackle so uh, something to look at there um the yeah, Jacksonville the Jaguars richer, already have such yeah, a sorry, good offensive that. line sorry no yeah, yeah yeah go ahead I was just saying the Colts have such a good offensive line and Raymond is a stud the Jaguars uh do not address the offense they address the offense with a bunch of cash in the offseason which leads us <laughs> to the the Chiefs and the Chiefs, the big move, the one move they made on offense besides Isaiah Pacheco, Rutgers running back, shout out uh, the New Jersey product, um, was Sky Moore, Western Michigan, a guy that you – I heard you say good things. I heard you say a few bad things about him. He was one of those five-year guys uh, coming out, 5'10", 195 pounds, uh, definitely profiles as the type of guy um, who can fit in that offense. Uh, Matt, what is your what is your takeaway here? Yeah, he's a he's a G five guy. He he spent three years, but um, but actually, like one of those years is the COVID year, and it doesn't count. So he did spend so technically four. But anyway, um, he does get the early declare kind of tag uh, because that COVID year isn't counted counted against uh, guys' um, eligibility. So there's only one other G five early declare that's ever had NFL success. And it's a pretty high comp. That's Devonte Adams coming out of Fresno state with Derek Carr. So sky Moore hits all of those insane production thresholds that you need to be like, even pay attention to kind of a G five receiver in those weak conferences, but Landing on the Chiefs, I don't think you could think of a better landing spot after losing Tyree Kill for any receiver of this draft. 
I also think it's really interesting that the Chiefs had the opportunities to select Sky Moore at 50 and then traded back and three other receivers were selected before that. So I'm not like little things like that kind of make me think like how confident were they really in making sure they got their guy, quote unquote because they traded back and other they watched other receivers go off the board with comfort, you know? So there was something to be said about that. I think to a certain extent, um, but again, like, what can you say, man, you're catching passes for Patrick Mahomes. Like, I, I don't really care that that's a good spot. <laughs> He's probably yeah, going to yeah. have a pretty good rookie season. There's a pretty barren wide receiver room with Cole Hardman being the wide receiver one on the outside. If, if, if oh. Juju just continues to exactly, <laughs> if Juju just continues to be in the, the slot, which I mean, why wouldn't, why would they change his role all of a sudden? That's where he's found the most success and a role that they right. certainly need. So sure. yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, speaking, yeah. Speaking of roles that are certainly in need going over it, and, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk a lot about Sky Moore in the upcoming, uh, weeks and months sky more will definitely be a um a topic of conversation in redraft that's for sure and in dynasty uh the chargers it's funny like why sometimes uh like we make fun of a lot of people who have like incredibly hardcore take lock in in, in at this time of year on twitter and, and things like that and one of the people one of the things that people got caught in take take lock was isaiah spiller um Fourth round to the Chargers looks like the, you know, it looks like the the NFL wasn't as high as Isaiah Spiller, but this is a role that the Chargers have been looking to fill for years now. Um, it seems like, and it's backup running back uh, now that ever since Melvin Gordon left town. So Isaiah Spiller is the next guy up. Uh, he's, you know, he's a he's a handcuff in in this one. He's a uh, he's a good player, uh, but yeah, any. Anything that you want to add about that? Or do you think Isaiah Spiller is worth a little conversation here? Disappointing no? draft okay. capital. I think that's kind of all we can really say. Probably just takes on the Josh Kelly role, if anything, until Eckler's gone. You might see them attack running back again in the next draft when the class is a little thicker. So, yeah, uh, just disappointing landing spot for Spiller. Somebody that we were – I mean, the whole community felt good about. We're just concerned about the declining draft stock and where it was going to fall, and it fell to a point that it's definitely – um. A red flag, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of declining draft stock that maybe worked out for a player, Kyron Williams, who had the famously worst combine ever in the history of combines, uh, he lands with the L.A. Rams. Uh, so not a bad spot there for him, but definitely not a, a difference-making spot. Uh, again, we're running through some some teams here that spent a lot of their draft capital on in the offseason or trading for players. So the, Ra- the Raiders are next. They picked Zamir White. Uh, running back from Georgia in the fourth round, um, you know, their running back situation. So that's something that needs to be, that should be monitored, but you know, not really uh, that closely yeah. for now. Um, also the Miami dolphins traded away all their draft capital. They took Eric <laughs> Ezukanama, Texas tech yeah, you, wide receiver. You got it. <laughs> Boom. Um, and then we're moving on to the Minnesota Vikings who also stayed on the defensive end. So Vikings, you can take a hike as well. And then you got the New England Patriots. Tyquan Thornton out of Baylor, which for me, I'm a Jets fan. So uh, Baylor wide receiver is something that doesn't sit well with me. 
Baylor wide receiver has been something that has not sit well with the NFL. There, I can't think of a successful Baylor wide receiver maybe ever. Corey Coleman is like the most successful Baylor I, wide receiver that I could think of in the, off the top of my head. That's why you have that's why you have so much trauma. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tyquan Thornton out of Baylor. They trade up to get him. Uh, he was not considered. This is the second one where it's considered a reach. Uh, yeah, how do you feel about Tyquan Thornton? He Six two one eighty one. He's a he's a, you know, he ran the fastest forty yard dash at the combine. So that's his claim to fame. Um, they have guys like this in the room already. Uh, in uh, what's the guy they just signed? They that they signed from the forty nine. I can't think of his name for some reason. Uh, the burner wide receiver. Why can't I think of his name? Kendrick what Bourne. What's wrong with me right now? Kendrick Bourne. Yes. What is wrong with me? Kendrick Bourne kind of fits that go. mold of Kendrick Bourne. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, what what are we doing here? What, what are we doing? Um, just for the record, Josh Gordon's from Baylor. So that's literally our stealing. <laughs> Fine. Josh Gordon's from Baylor. Uh, Josh Gordon, I guess, worked out. Although. Uh, yeah. I don't he know. He did the worst one, thing in the world. He smoked some weed. Oh my God. Someone yeah. asked that man. What a, what an animal. So bad. That's just, yeah. What, what a, uh, honestly, yeah. What, what a peak right. of a career that we could have had, but anyway, no, I, know, I, I mean, Taekwondo Thornton's fast. Lost that. Bullshit. Anyway, Taekwondo Thornton's fast. They also added the Paul Hornung winner, which is a they traded up for another great Belichick move here, trading up for a guy that won an award for specifically being a special teamer. Um, and they call him a, a defensive back uh, when he declares, but he also played like half of his total snaps on offense. Um, the kid's name's eluding my mind, but yeah, the, the whole point being is the Patriots just went full blown, like Bill Belichick, Chris Collinsworth type of, this is a guy like, and, and that was just their whole draft. So I'm not overly sold on Taekwon Thornton. I don't find him to be an excellent fit for the offense. Uh, the role is questionable inside of the offense. Um, success is questionable. Prospect profile is questionable. So Honestly, man, the Patriots kind of just bungled this whole draft. I apologize for all the Bostonians and uh, New Englanders listening to this, but what what a terrible process when you have a top, when you've already invested a top 15 pick last year in the guy that, like, for better or worse, this is your franchise QB. So, like, do something with that. Like, you made the playoffs with a rookie quarterback. Do something with that. Take advantage of that contract. No, this is Bill Belichick's team, and I must. <laughs> yeah, instead he goes no. <laughs> like, offensive line, no, not, no offense to Cole. Like, I mean, my no, man Cole I mean, Strange is getting is getting. And a there's lot, nothing wrong with heat. the Cole Cole Strange pick. You need a guard. Cole Strange is coming off the board, coming off the board, and mauling people. But he's not coming off the board in the first round. And there's no disrespect because he knew that as well. He yeah. graded himself as a fourth round prospect. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, always a head-scratcher with the New England drafts. Let's go over to your favorite team, Mr. Matthew, the New Orleans Saints, who got <sighs> the guy that you wanted, Trevor Penning, and they added Chris Olave, who seemed like the best fit for that offense um, from the very get-go. I think that this is these are the two picks I had them taking in, in when we did the mock draft on our last episode, um, and we all we love the picks. So with that being said, let's talk about Olave. This is a guy who definitely profiles out as someone who could have an immediate impact on this offense. So how do you feel about his impact he's going to have? 
100%. Just like we were saying with David Bell in Cleveland, I think Olave immediately steps into that room as the second best wide receiver. Um, and Michael Thomas, we haven't seen him play in nearly two years. So for all we know, Olave is the best wide receiver in the room with the declining Michael Thomas and health concerns surrounding him. Um, that offense is going to run the ball. That's why they brought Penning in. He has a perfect run blocker grade of 99.0, according to PFF for his final collegiate season. Um, so New Orleans wants to run the ball. And Dennis Allen being the head coach, they want to slow the clock down. They want to let that defense eat. Uh, today, we just signed uh, Tyron Matthew. So, Woo! you know, that, that defense is is terrifying and we're going to teams are going to have to manage clock against the saints uh basically you know keep the offense off the field or keep the defense off the field rather you know in, in that sense of try to elongate the game um so yeah it, i think it's a, an excellent landing spot it's probably the best landing spot for olave considering draft capital as well for the saints to move up and put his prospect profile now in a top 15 uh, draft capital attached to it makes him for a very, very enticing player. And he is Michael Thomas. Like they're both from Ohio state. They both played the same role at Ohio state in the exact same offensive system. And they are reception machines. Like Olave is a quick off the press separator, but not a huge down the field separator. And that's just exactly like Michael Thomas. He will shred you off the press and all he needs is half a yard to take a slant 25 yards down the field so i mean i also think he could just as easily supplant michael thomas uh not not in his rookie season but just as easily supplant the same role that michael thomas has had all of these years in the future uh I, yeah i like the move i think it's a, it's a move that needed to be made and you know the, the saints are going for it they're making no qualms about it they're they are considering themselves a contender this year and they are acting like it and they have the defense to do it, especially now that they added Tyron Matthew. They have the defense to do it, and now they're trying to get the offense to do it. And Chris Olave obviously has the talent here, so this is a good pick for me. Uh, I don't mind them moving up. They already made their move. They, they actually moved up twice, technically, for Olave. They already made their move yeah. back into the. You know, they already made their move back into the, the. This is what they wanted, and they ensured that they got it. And if you're going to give up a first round pick next year to get the two guys you want, go get the two guys you want, and that's exactly what they did. So shout out to the Saints for being aggressive. And again, that's my philosophy. I'm, I'm one of these GMs. I would be one of these GMs that would be like, hey, I'm going to fucking trade to get the guy that I want. I'm going to trade all these picks. And another GM that does that is Joe Douglas. Um, another another what it looks like uh, Grand Slam home run draft for Joe Douglas. His first draft wasn't, wasn't the best, although there was upside to it. Um, he did find a starting quarterback in the fifth round and a starting safety in the fourth round. And, you know, Makai Becton could be good, maybe, if he doesn't eat himself out of the league. But the last two drafts seem like home runs. In this draft, wide receiver Garrett Wilson and um, running back Brees Hall, who we as a company had ranked as the number one wide receiver and the number one running back in in the NFL. Um, Their third-round pick, it was the tight end from uh, Ohio State, uh, his name – eluding me at the moment there you go jeremy rucker who had one of the coolest videos of getting drafted ever his dad was just so excited he grew up in long island it long island new york he grew up a jet fan uh his dad was over the moon for that one this makes a lot of it makes a lot of sense to me because let's so, so first of all 
let's talk about Brees Hall. They trade up for Brees Hall. And I think this is going to be an extremely important trade up for them because they're going, you're going to see a lot of transition for the, the Jets to become a run first offense, right? They went out and they got Lake and Tomlinson. They, they, they had George Fant had a good season last year. Uh, Makai Becton coming back, Elijah Vera Tucker. They built that offensive line, although I would have liked to see them continue to build it, but they built that offensive line in order to be, um, in order to fit, fit the scheme that they want to play. When they keep adding players that fit their scheme, and they're going to hand the ball to Bryce Hall, Bryce Hall 20 times a game. That's what they're going to do. Um, and they're, they're going to pass it or throw it to him 20 times a game. That doesn't mean Michael Carter also won't touch it. Um, I, if I had to guess on it, I would say this is going to be kind of like an old-school rotation where it's not going to be like Michael Carter's a third-down back because Brees Hall is an all-around back. It's going to be for every three drives, two of them, Brees Hall is going to be on the field, and one of them, Michael Carter, is going to be on the field. Kind of like the way that – no one really likes to acknowledge the fact that this is what that's what NFL teams do. Um, Brees Hall is going to be a guy who gets work and he's going to be getting work in an offense. that's going to hand in the ball. Garrett Wilson is going to be in a situation where Elijah Moore is already there. Corey Davis is already there. Yes. He's going to be the number one to, to he's per better se. Than both of them, <laughs> but that, but that's what I mean. He's better than both those guys. I don't know. Elijah Moore, I'm a big Elijah Moore guy, but if he is better than both those guys, it's still less pressure on him. So he has a chance to thrive in that offense right. as well. Obviously, it takes Zach Wilson to do it. First of all, I want to get your thoughts on those two guys because I could talk all day. I'm a Jets fan. Um, and then, but I think Jeremy Ruckert, and this is this is gonna sound homerism. I, I don't want to sound homerism. It's a little bit of uh it's a little bit George Kittley uh to me. Not not saying that Ruckert's going to be George Kittle. But what I'm saying is Ruckert is known for having short hands and he's known as a blocking tight end. And I think something that you've noticed in this offseason is that they add C.J. Uzama, they add um, Tyler Conklin, they draft a third-round tight end, they drafted Trayvon Wesco a couple years ago who's a blocking tight end. If you can't block with the offensive line, then you need to block with your tight end. One of the, one of the most underrated things about George Kittle is he's one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. And that really opens up a lot of holes in that zone-running scheme. So I think that Having a guy like that, and, and Brees Hall is the perfect match for his own running scheme. When you watch him on tape, it almost as if he like walks up to the line, very Le'Veon Bell-esque, and then attacks. And I think that that's the perfect fit for this scheme. Anyway, I could talk about this all day. Matt, what are your thoughts on this fit? So, something that we touched upon when we first started is I think the Jets are one of the biggest winners of the entire draft. I don't like the Ruckert pick. Um, just from a contract allocation standpoint, Um I liked some of the other tight ends that went later as well. Uh, Ruckert and that group of tight ends like Kate Otten and Cole Turner, uh, I kind of had them all in a very similar uh, grouping tier. So I would have liked, if if they were going to do that, I would have liked a later tight end. Um, So yeah, the allocation to the, to Uzama and Conklin in the off season makes me not love the pick as much, but I do like the player. Um, It's just something that I wish, you know, they maybe would have done something else with that particular pick because that's still a really good value round. And we saw a lot of good defensive players, a lot of good offensive linemen too. And you, you were talking about building beast units and, and they missed out on that, that Evan Neal potential pick. So, yeah, I mean, I love the the draft as a whole, but that was the one area that I wasn't like really excited about it. And Garrett Wilson might have a more difficult path to volume than Brees Hall per se, as far as their two new offensive weapons. Um, but if, you know, 
the exact opposite of what they did with Sam Darnold essentially is what they're doing with Zach Wilson. They're giving Zach Wilson the best options available to succeed. And even if he isn't the second best quarterback of the 2021 class where he was drafted, he's going to look like a serviceable serviceable option and a good pick because that offense is going to function at a very high level. Let's keep it in New York. I feel like the Giants had a great draft. I, I fell in love with Cape Montevideo. I've got to say, it started with you, and then I heard the man speak. And then I just think that Cape Montevideo was going to be a star. I think that the Giants got themselves a who should have been the first pick overall. I know you feel the same way. Um, yep. Evan Neal is another great pick. But then they go in and they get Wandell Robinson, and when that's some, something that's going to be fantasy relevant. So let's talk about Wandell here. Um, although I, I know if you want to talk about KT a little bit, that I, I'm a, you, you go ahead and talk about KT a little bit if you want to, too. But uh, Wandell Robinson, he, he kind of I don't know, he he's he's a Memphis, I mean, a Kentucky guy that you know is good with the ball in his hands, played some running back, 5'8, 178 pounds. This is this is a guy that obviously they feel fits a scheme. I don't know if I would have made this pick here. How do you feel about it? The NFL draft lied about his height again, too. They they used his Kentucky height uh, at 5'10 and, and 180 or whatever, when that's not what he measured at the combine. So I thought that was hilarious on the broadcast. Yeah. Um, for me, this is, I think this makes even more, you know, where there's uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. I think this puts even more fire on the Kadarius Tony situation. Um, I think they're very similar players as far as their roles in the NFL. Um Wandale more of a gadget guy where Tony can kind of uh, beat a little bit downfield, but that's not where they used Tony at all. All of his success that we saw as his rookie season when we were talking about his yards per route run and, and his efficiency metrics came when they were using him on screens, on really short slants and on jet sweeps. So uh, I think this spells bad news for Tony and Robinson can fit into that offense and function that the there's not many receivers that are going to come for a 130 25% plus target share so if he can perform well in OTAs offseason preseason I think he could be the number one number two wide receiver if Tony isn't around Shepard still has his issues um Galladay essentially should be the wide receiver one but again to be determined so yeah it's a decent fit but it's not something that i'm overly excited about i haven't seen enough success from that offense in general to think that wandale or wandale robinson is just going to step in and, and produce as a rookie yeah i agreed there uh let's let's stay in the uh philadelphia i mean in the uh, nfc east and go to philadelphia it's not does not stay in philadelphia um they didn't do anything uh, in the draft to address their offense but they did the most important thing in the draft to address their offense and that is acquiring aj brown for a first and third round pick i didn't know this at the time like when i wrote an article when i wrote an article for brodo for my rapid reactions aj brown was one of my big losers in this game uh because just to be to make a long story short ryan Tannehill is a much more efficient passer than jalen hurts is with that being said aj brown does make you a little more efficient having a guy like AJ Brown out there. And what I didn't know is apparently Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown are like friends, like real friends. Oh, Not they're just besties. Like, yeah, like like AJ Brown was at Jalen Hurts' daughter's birthday party a week ago. No, yeah, like, like that's they're, how they're good. Fr- of, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I was going to say, now they're on the I was going to literally team. cite the exact same thing. <laughs> it's yeah, like they're, they're really the good friends. Thing. And they're, they're on the same page on the same team. Uh, you know, right now, I think this is still a downgrade for AJ Brown, but I'm, I'm growing more and more kind of accepting of AJ Brown might have to be a person that I draft to my teams this year. How are you feeling about AJ Brown going into the season? A bit of a value decline. Um, both are incredibly low volume passing offenses. So it's not based on a volume thing. It's just based on exactly what you cited. It's an efficiency thing. Um, AJ Brown was also the only receiver to command targets in that Titans offense from Tannehill. Um, all of the other receivers kind of just split target shares week to week, um, where Brown maintained consistent alpha production. Uh, that might not happen in Philadelphia. I like Devonte Smith a lot. They're going to run the ball a lot. When Hertz can't find AJ deep, he's going to take off running. So from a volume and a efficiency uh, perspective, it definitely hurts his value a little bit, but he's also still AJ Brown and he is a much different option and a much different role than Devonte Smith. So it hurts both of them in my opinion. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's not a good fantasy thing. It's definitely a more of a real life win than it is a fantasy win. Uh, this one's definitely a fantasy L. Um, yeah, and, and speaking of the Eagles like draft process and in the way they went about things with the defense that fell to them and getting the Kobe Dean and, and things of that nature, like the Eagles overall, this, the trade with the saints acquiring a 2023 first for Chris Olave essentially. And, and, and also getting, AJ Brown from that for like Eagles were the biggest winner of the draft in my opinion. Moving on to uh, staying in the same state, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Look, I don't want to hate on the Kenny Pickett um, so, uh, draft pick here. I'll do it I for you. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. They, they went to pit, but you know you're talking about. I'm, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you do that. And even the the video they have here, like he's. he's Dude's wearing a glove, man. Like, come on now. Like, this is what, two-glove two Teddy? Over anyway, um, look, I don't even think Kenny Pickett has the best shot to start week one of any quarterback in this draft. I think that Desmond Ritter and Matt Carell have better odds. to. Uh, if, if I was betting, I would bet that those guys start before Kenny Pickett. I don't think that Kenny Pickett could just come in and beat out. Mitch Trubisky. I don't, I don't think that I obviously I'm higher on Trubisky than, than some people are, but I think Trubisky got the shit under the stick too. We saw a Matt Nagy offense fail with Trubisky, fail with Dalton, fail with fields, fail with Glennon, fail with Foles. Like at, at a certain point, like, yeah, th- none of those guys are superstars, but at a certain point, how many, how much can you put on the, on the guy if the offense fails with everyone and he obviously was the best fit in the offense whenever he played, whenever he wasn't getting the criticism. So now, I, I don't know. I think that Mitch Trubisky has what it takes to be a starter in the league, and I don't think that Kenny Pickett starting the first day um, is a guarantee. Matt, I know you're not a fan of Kenny Pickett, so how do you feel about this pick? Uh, this Pickett. And then we can go to Pickens. They got Pickett and Pickens? They picked Pickett and Pickens? What? In Are you Pittsburgh. kidding me? In Pitt? Yeah, I- pick- Pit, pick, picked, <laughs> pick, 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 hold on, we're going to do this. Pit, picked, pickens, and picket. Pit, pick, pickens, and picket. Pit, sorry, I say it. Pit, pick, pickens, and picket. Pit, pick, pickens, and picket. <laughs> I, 
I don't like candy. Matt doesn't even want to try. (laughs) No, that's where I end it. No, I don't, I don't, I don't really like Kenny Pickett, man. Um, I didn't have a first round grade on really any of these quarterbacks, but I thought that we would see um, potentially three go in the first. And and obviously I was very wrong about that, but so are many of us. Um, Pickett would be the first quarterback that I take in super flex leagues, but that's about it. It's a value play. He's not somebody that I feel super confident in his career production. I don't feel super confident in his job security, even at, at pick 20. I do think that that is something that if the Tomlin era ends while Kenny is still under his rookie contract, that they would be more than comfortable moving on from him and getting a better quarterback prospect that they can build a future around. If this whole experiment doesn't work out at the end of uh, Tomlin's career here. Um, yeah. It, the, the pick, of Pickett by Pittsburgh from Pitt makes sense. <laughs> it's a story that you love to see. You love your homegrown heroes. You love your homegrown guys uh, balling out in their final year at a at a at a franchise, uh, keeping your fans happy. Um, that's something that you know people kind of ignore, or maybe a storyline that isn't as part of your conscious as a. Uh, other storylines that are happening in the draft is the fact that this is a business and some of these picks are made as business decisions, meaning they know that Kenny Pickett sells more jerseys than any other pick there. And I'm not saying that's why that they drafted him, but they know what they're doing. It's a, it's the best fit for their franchise to keep all parties happy. When you have a general manager, an owner, a coach, all wanting different things. They all have different big boards. This is the best avenue to keep the entire fan base and the organization rolling and successful. He's not a prospect that I love, but the pick makes sense. Mike Tomlin spoke well of him. If, if they like him, I think that makes it makes a difference, but I think you're right. I think this is one of those ones that there were just more than just football at play here. Speaking about uh, this, like, if there's one thing you can definitely bank on is that the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to pick a wide receiver in the second round that's going to have success in the NFL. It happens all the time. I guess James Washington wasn't the exception, but even James Washington had his moments and he's with the, he's with the Cowboys now. Um, They had to find a replacement for him and they do in George Pickens, George Pickens. um, He fits all the tools that you want to see. He's six, three, one good at getting off press coverage, played for a great team, played against the best competition. Rumor has it is that he's an a-hole, to, to put it frankly, and that he's just like one of those guys who's just not good for the, for the squad. But the Steelers have taken guys like that before, right? Martavius yeah. Bryant, a, a, a Martavis Bryant, excuse me, a guy who 6'3", 195, like fits that exact mold. Antonio Brown, uh, Santonio Holmes, like uh, Plaxico Burst. The list goes on and on of these guys that they've gotten that yep. value in the second round. Um, how are we feeling about Pickens? Pickens was somebody that I got higher on than I was uh, during my pre-draft rookie analysis process. So closer to the draft, I actually was getting higher on him right around the time that everybody scouts were getting lower on him due to off-field concerns and and essentially attitude character concerns. Um, And I mean, it's not overly surprising. Some of his biggest highlights and best highlights are like, the fight that he had <laughs> um, against Purdue and, and the, his run blocking moments where he pancakes somebody and then stands over top of them and, and gets a flag for taunting. Like th- those are like his number one career highlights. So it's not overly surprising <laughs> to hear that that's like something that scouts notice when they first started talking to him. Um, but if there's any organization again, 
you said it, man, if there's any organization that can kind of put those flaws under the rug and get the most out of a player, out of a receiver specifically, it's the Steelers. And it, it's not the best landing spot. Uh, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Pat Fryermuth, Najee Harris is going to need a thousand touches a game to be good at all. So if the Steelers want to make that pick look decent for the next couple of years, <laughs> they're going to have to feed him an insane amount of volume. So landing spot, not the best draft capital. Good. Um, and g- good organization, but not great team landing spot for the depth. Yeah. Uh, one of those guys who, again, I, I would like take in the second, third round of a, of a dynasty draft and maybe yep. have yep. a year on the, on the, um, on taxi, the taxi yeah. squad. Yeah. Yeah. And I like from there. I like kind of abusing that taxi squad with high end players that, you, you know, especially if you're in a pro- progressive struggle, there's so many uh, strategies to dynasty league, but that's definitely one to help extend a progressive struggle is getting good assets and keeping them on the taxi. And even if they are a first round pick, if you aren't looking to win or aren't needing to play them right away, you keep and wait for that breakout. And when that value increases or they are a week to week starter that you can plug and play that's when you take them off taxi or, or go for a trade. But I have no problem with flexing those, um, or extending my my taxi uh abilities with putting good players there hop in hop in the taxi uh yeah we're, we're getting in we're getting in the taxi with george pickens um they also drafted calvin austin a wide receiver out of memphis who was a walk-on former running back uh on a completely separate note uh i think that you could you could pull off calvin austin like if you told me your name was calvin austin i would believe you um for whatever that's worth uh (laughs) so random (laughs) seattle let's talk about seattle because they add the big the big boy charles cross but they also add that they go all seattle on us kenneth walker which matt did not pull any punches in his recent article and said um i can't remember the exact quote but i think it was extreme uh showing an extreme lack of incompetence of or something of that nature um, <laughs> yeah, you can go to the yeah, Broto app. I right gave now them a, there. I gave them props for the the selection right of Boy Maffey. Here, here it is. No, sorry. Unfortunately, the Seahawks Seahawks followed that with a blunderous display of incompetence, incompetence by drafting Kenneth <laughs> Walker the third soon after. So look, we were all excited about Kenny Walker, and it looks like his uh, value is 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 going to be down here. To me, like. When someone says it doesn't matter who drafts someone for dynasty purposes, I, I would say um, it's not like it's the only thing that matters, but too many people are all about those absolutes, like it doesn't matter at all. I would say, hey, look, Kenny Walker, right? Because now look at what you're in, into. You're in, in a situation where you're sharing a backfield with Rashad Penny, maybe Chris Carson. Let's see if he gets cut. But Rashad Penny and Chris Carson, maybe, right? That's on, in your rookie year. Then going into your second year, unless Drew Locke takes some sort of step that no one's expecting, which could happen, but is inside the realm of possibilities, but unlikely, then you're looking at a player who is on a team with a rookie quarterback and a team that if they're picking a rookie quarterback, probably has a brand new head coach. So you have a brand new system, a brand new head coach, a brand new quarterback and year two, you can't expect him to be anything until year three. And that's even if he has a chance because we've seen so many guys just kind of fizzle out because they don't even get a chance. So how are you feeling about Kenny Walker? It's, it's uh, for me, it's super disappointing to see where he landed here. Um, how are you feeling? It's just a bad pick by the Seahawks. We like Kenny Walker as a prospect. That, that's Facts. not the issue here. He, good he's a back. good prospect. Yeah. Good running back, but 
as a pick, it makes no sense. They don't have an offensive line to put behind them. They don't have a functioning offense. Their defense has so many holes. Like they literally have just an infinite amount of holes to fill and to go running back at that spot just makes no sense. And Kenny Walker, isn't a, he's not six foot three and 220 pounds. He's not Derrick Henry. Um, so that negative pass catching profile is a much bigger red flag than any other negative pass catching profile. When you say like, well, the uh, Dane Thomason didn't catch passes. Well, Derek Henry didn't catch passes. Nick Chubb didn't catch passes. Yeah. All those dudes are also monsters that can pass block. Kenny Walker isn't one. So the offense that you wanted to see him fall into from a fantasy perspective was an offense that was already highly functioning and needed just a pure runner needed just somebody that is going to get between the tackles. And even if it was just at the 17 to 20 carries a game, 20 touches a game, be that player, the way that the um, Brown have and both produce in fantasy. We wanted Kenny Walker to go to a team like that, like maybe in Atlanta with Corderell Patterson. That's where we would want to see him fall for his fantasy purposes because his profile is so minimal into, or maybe not minimal is the wrong word, but so, um, specialist it, it's so focused into one part of his game succeeding which is the run, running part he's not going to be able to play three downs in seattle pass blocking behind an offensive line that can't pass block with drew lock needing extra time he will come out on every single third down so now you're asking basically for a team that can't get into the red zone to uphold the fantasy value of a player that can only play two downs on offense. No, thanks. Not great. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks. All right. Let's, uh, let's go to the next team in the same division and something, some, a surprise pick, uh, not a, not a surprise of who picked them, but it's the San Francisco 49ers. They take Tyrion Davis price, LSU running back six foot, 211 pounds. Um, you know, they also take Danny Gray, SMU wide receiver in the fourth round. What are they doing? Uh, I mean, uh, I, I don't know who that is, to be honest. I didn't do much Terry and Davis Price uh, <laughs> watching. Uh, and there's not even any, like, video highlights or there's, a picture of him where I, I want to find him. So That's okay. I didn't even have him ranked on my draft board whatsoever. So, like, that's just. Matt, Matt had everyone ranked. Yeah, like I, I did not give him a seven, like a seven round grade. So I don't that that was a, that was a crazy pick to me. I think the Danny Gray pick is actually kind of a sleeper pick. I, I like Danny Gray pretty good, um, but not where I would expect the 49ers to attack. Um, Kyle Shanahan's a, a weird drafter, man. No, it doesn't affect Mitchell at all because Davis Price yeah. isn't good. Like that's you know what I mean? Like it affects Trey Sermon. That's basically them completely admitting that they messed that pick up and they're just like, we're just not going to give this guy any touches anymore. Yeah. I mean, tough stuff to put your head around. But then again, maybe he's the best running back ever in a Shanahan system. Like you never know. And we don't know. Shanahan continuously proves everybody wrong with these picks. Um, And, and it's not just a Shanahan system. We have to remember that the guy that ran that offensive system and, and orchestrated it is now head coaching for Miami. So I'm a little concerned about anybody that's investing any sort of draft capital into TDP for, 
the 49ers just because of the landing spot. Like that's a big concern to me. It's, it's not, it's not just another one of those. Well, okay. We draft the fourth round uh, running back that the 49ers drafted because that's worked out before. I don't feel the same way about this one. I did feel that way about Elijah Mitchell. I did feel that way about Jeff Wilson in the past. I don't feel this way now. Oof, and it, Matt was one of the people who were like, Hey, Trey Sermon sucks. And Elijah Mitchell is good. So, um, he, he knew that before we knew that. So just there is there is some – if you're pulling receipts, pull those receipts, baby. Uh, speaking of pulling receipts, <laughs> Tampa Bay, uh, they – I don't know how I'm going to switch this into pulling receipts, so I'm just going to transition. I was going to say your like, segue game was doing so good until that moment. I, I know, I know. Like, we're on team 29 of 32. So uh, – and I've been uh, – you know, my, my son was napping. He's since w- woken up from his nap. So I'm in my bedroom right now and I'm, I'm sitting in Indian style for like two and a half hours and it's not good for the old back. I'll say that. All right. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Tampa Bay third round Rashad white. I'm going to step back and let you talk about him. Cause I know he was one of your favorite prospects. Absolutely. Love that pick. Um, a lot of people are going to get a discount on Rashad white because Leonard Fournette is still in office um, playoff Lenny still kicking it, but Rashad white's a phenomenal prospect. He is Leonard Fournette. Like if you wanted him to fill in a role of any running back in the NFL and point to it, be like, I think Rashad white could fill that role for fantasy production. It's Leonard Fournette. It's exactly that. So I think it's a perfect fit for somebody to learn behind. I think it spells him a lot better on the offensive side than Ronald Jones did, where much like we were talking about with Kenneth Walker, you basically only have a two down running back with Ronald Jones. Rashad White can play all three downs. He's not quite as good as a pass blocker as Lenny. But if again, if there's any team to learn those nuances from, it's Bruce Arians, Tampa Bay built offense. And, and I know Arians isn't the head coach anymore, but he's still a part of the front office. And he was the one of the reasons that they were so high on Rashad White because of his love for David Johnson and in comping them as very similar players. And we saw Arians turn David Johnson into an absolute fantasy cheat code before the injuries happened, lining them up all over the field, outside, inside, um, in the backfield. So I think Rashad White could fill a similar role there too. Uh, he's definitely going to have high receiving upside, much like Fournette does with Brady checking down at, at a later age. And he's one of the more dynamic runners in the class. I, I easily would say he's the most well-rounded running back prospect that isn't named Brees Hall. He's a much better pass catcher than Spiller or Walker. Um, he's not as good of a pure runner, but he's, you know, better in open space than Spiller. So RB three for me. And, and I'm, I'm really happy about this landing spot. Uh, you, I'm going to follow Matt into drafting a bunch of Rashad white in my dynasty leagues that I don't plan with Matt. Uh, Cause I know he'll be getting them before me. But uh, yeah, I, I hear that, especially for the especially for the long term. Um, then this is one in the short term where this is the type of guy Rashad White who, in week five, when Leonard Fournette tweaks something like he always does, uh, all of a sudden your waiver wires you're going to be dropping a lot of fab on Rashad White. He's going to be I feel feel like he's going to be that type of guy this year. Um, moving on to the most surprising team of the night, I think even they surprised themselves with how their night went. Uh, the Tennessee Titans, um, obviously the big trade of wow. A.J. Brown, and they replace A.J. Brown with a guy who kind of played a similar role in college, kind of looks like him. Uh, a lot of people comp him to A.J. Brown. That's Traylon Burks, wide receiver out of Alabama, Arkansas, excuse me, 6'2", 225. A lot of people talk about Burks is a yards-after-the-catch guy. 
And that's what kind of A.J. Brown was in college as well. They also take quarterback Malik Willis, who dropped to the 22nd pick in the third round after being like legitimately talked to talked about as the second pick in the entire draft overall fucked up for Malik Willis because dude is like, they invited him. He he didn't ask for any of this, you know, like I, I feel for him. Well, he didn't ask for this. The NFL thought he was going to go to the first round as well. They invited him to the green room. Like he was there on day one in the green room with the top 40 prospects. It's but like that's I mean, rough. <laughs> it ends up sometimes, you know, as I, as my mom always liked to say, God God works in mysterious ways, and like sometimes, like hey, he goes to a spot where he he wasn't going to be successful if he played. Like I, one of the things that stood out to me in that um, I think it was a Greg Rosenthal from the NFL Network pointed out. Oh no, no, it was oh, it was Chris uh, Chris Sims pointed out it was that Malik Willis never put together the game. Right. He never he never completely dominated an afternoon or a night as the quarterback at Liberty. He put together insane flashes and incredible drives and incredible plays. He broke a lot of tackles, but he didn't take over a game and become that guy. Now he gets to learn under Ryan Tannehill, who is a very similarly sized and similarly attributed player. I know Ryan Tannehill is not, you know, this fast, but Ryan Tannehill is an underrated runner, always has been. Uh, not I, I don't know yep. if a lot of people know this, but former wide receiver at Texas A&M, Ryan Tannehill. And then, obviously, Traylon Burks is the guy that he could be throwing to. So, the question, Traylon Burks, how do you feel about him this year? How do you feel about him going forward? Is Was this a good move for Tennessee? I'm going to let you talk, and then I have a, I have a little bit of a, of a contrarian take on this one. So, go ahead, Matt. Probably increases Burke's value when it was already at wide receiver three value. You might see people want to take him over Garrett Wilson um, being the standalone wide receiver in that room. Uh, Malik Willis, in my opinion, always had to sit a year. So him going to Detroit probably would have been a bad scenario where he would be forced into a starting role and not be able to succeed much like you said. So I, I do like that spot for him to be able to learn behind somebody um, that is getting up in age that is ending out a contract. So I think it's a good landing spot for Malik, to be honest. I think wherever he can go that he doesn't have to start his first year and actually has a potential to be a starter in the future, that is his best landing spot. So Tennessee fits that mold. That's good for him. Um, The A.J. Brown trade is a money thing for them. They were just – the offer that they had put on the table for A.J. Brown was essentially a spit in the face after seeing the way that money was allocated to wide receivers this offseason. I think they offered him $17 million a year, Um, which, yeah, to us sounds like a hell of a lot of money, but in the NFL market when Christian Kirk is making $28 million a year, then, you know – AJ Brown is worth as much as Tyree Killer Devontae Adams is, especially on his first contract extension. Um, so they decline the fifth year option. They ship him off to the Eagles. The Eagles more than willingly uh, make that offer and make AJ Brown the third highest paid receiver in the league. So I like that move for the Eagles. I it's a backwards move for the Titans. You just made the you just were the one seed in the AFC um, without Derrick Henry, with Ryan Tannehill throwing to a bunch of backup receivers without AJ Brown, and you were still the number one seed in the AFC in in a conference that is absolutely stacked top to bottom. So for them to not 
increase on that firing power and that potential to take a step back and now want to develop a receiver that could be A.J. Brown, but you already had A.J. Brown, that's Brooks' ceiling. His absolute ceiling is A.J. Brown, and he's probably Nikhil Harry. So I I don't like the move. Um, I like it for dynasty value, for fantasy value. Brooks should see a lot of volume. It, it murders Malik Willis's fantasy value year one. That's basically, you know, not something I'm super so, excited about. So I, I will say this. I have a little bit of a contrarian take here on this because I don't think, look, if, if we rewind the tape to two years ago and we ask, oh, my God, the Vikings, instead of train, trading Stephon Diggs, they went and they – got a pick for him and then they acquired some guy with the 20 within the 20s of the draft did he go 24 i think they both might have went at 24 or if anywhere somewhere near there around 24 do you think the the vikings are regretting that right now of course not because they got it right they could have drafted Jalen rager here's the thing though aj brown is a beast and we all know this but at the same time the guy's never had more than 70 receptions in a season. He's never had more than 1,075 yards in a season. In terms of raw numbers, these are not irreplaceable numbers, right? You're not wrong. In terms of, like, in terms of, of impact yeah. on the field, in terms of you know, leadership and all that stuff, A.J. Brown seems to be a remarkable young man. It, it doesn't you – know, it's not that hard to replace those numbers. Particularly if you have a guy like Traylon Burks who kind of fits the mold. I think that Ryan Tannehill hate needs to fucking stop. All right. Um, I, yes, he had a bad playoff game. I admit it. But the dude has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL since he took over as a starter for, for the Titans. He's been one of the most efficient in the NFL since he took over. Like you said, last year, Derrick Henry got hurt after eight games. and That team was still the number one seed in the, in the AFC. Still, look. I know they had a bad playoff game and they exited early, but they still got there. They still made it there in a stacked AFC. So I don't hate it because they are paying Ryan Tannehill and I don't hate it. They, they, they took in, they took in Robert Woods contract, but it's all obviously dependent on can Traylon Burks have the value that AJ Brown had because just like the, the, the Vikings, when they took Justin Jefferson, <clears throat> no one's saying that that was a bad trade. That was everyone saying that was a win-win because the, the Bills could afford it and the Vikings couldn't. And that's what it is here. The, tit- the Titans just can't afford it. They have $5 million left in cash space. Shout out to Matt Ward. I read that in his article today. Uh, they have $5, minute, $5 million left in cash space and they just did not have the room to restructure. If they wanted to stay in that spot, they needed to move on and they needed to, to replace him. They got a third-round pick out of it on top of the fact that they replaced him directly with a cheaper option. To me, it's not the worst thing in the world. I know you lose a guy that's a face of the franchise, but I, I don't hate it. I think that it has it, – it's an okay move now, and it has the possibilities to be a home run move, in my opinion. Um, and with that being said, let's go to the last team, the Commanders. Um they take Jahan Dotson, which is an interesting one to me because I, you mentioned that not, oh, it's not always, about, not always about production on the field. Sometimes it's about business. And Terry McLaurin is one of those guys whose his deal is coming up. They're going to have to pay him big-time wide receiver money this time next year. And 
are they positioning themselves for life without Terry is what you're questioning. In the meantime, you have the, you have Terry, you have Dotson, you have Wentz. How does this look for Washington in your opinion? nailed it on the head in my opinion i think this is a move that positions himself to get rid of or to not pick up terry mclaurin's fifth year option to not extend him and allow him to walk um talking about kind of raw numbers is mclaurin's another one is if you're just looking at production on the field it's not irreplaceable um so dawson is somebody that i was very high on and i don't love the landing spot Per se, I mean, I, I do think Wentz will hinder his year one production from the ceiling that we potentially could have seen. Um, but I do love the draft capital attached to it. I love that he felt that he's a top 20 pick with that profile, with that insane market share of Penn State yards and, and targets that he had in that final season. So Dotson, somebody that I do believe is more of a wide receiver too. Um, or, or just like his highest comp and I think is his easiest comp as well is Deontay Johnson and Deontay is not somebody that is going to function as a solo quote unquote undersized alpha. Um, he needs guys like Claypool on the outside a Juju in the slot so that he can not, or, you know, so that, that he can thrive not being double teamed and not being shadowed that that's where I, those separation numbers are so good. Um, so Dotson could fall into a very similar role, but I do think that Washington's going to have to have another wide receiver around for him to flourish. Um, he is a little undersized and definitely a PPR stud or reception machine. Like I've said. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a little, he's a little undersized for me. 5'11", 178. I know, I know we've been talking about guys who, are skinny, but they're at least six feet tall. The guys that we've been talking about who are skinny, this, he, he doesn't exactly make it just to six feet. Um, he worries me a bit just because this offense doesn't really profile as a guy that Wentz likes to throw to. Uh, it just, it's a little bit of, a, it's a little bit concerning to me. Brian Robinson Jr., the running back as well uh, from Alabama, 6'2", 225. Um, Big. A lot of yards at the contract. Yeah, bruiser type dude. Um, so, not good news for Antonio Gibson on the outside because you assume that Antonio Gibson now would be the guy. Gibson shares have just been declining consistently all off season. The, you know, Bills tried to sign McKissick in Washington was like, wait a second. Nah. <laughs> so we all yeah. thought like, Oh, well, you know, Gibson pass numbers up. Great. And then they bring back McKissick. So that might hinder that a little. And then we're like, okay, well, Gibson rushing role up. Great. And then they bring in Brian Robinson and that might hinder that a little. So Yeah definitely going to be a new look offense and something that I, I missed out on, but I wanted to say as well is, is Wentz loves big body receivers. So again, yeah, that Shahan Dawson being kind of undersized and might, he's not going to look for him as much. Like Wentz likes big targets. He likes tight ends. He liked Michael Pittman. That that's his, that's the guys that he goes to. And traditionally we've seen him uphold fantasy success with. So it's a bit of an uphill Al battle. Alshon, Alshon Jeffrey too. Yeah. You know, so yeah. in, in, in the right. Day, so, all right. Uh, well, we've talked about all 32 teams. You're only getting this here, baby. Uh, the Brodo Fantasy Football Podcast with, of course, the encyclopedia himself. Matt, where can they find you, bro? Find me at uh, PsychWardFF on all social media platforms. And as the lead writer in DOC at Brodo Fantasy on the Fantasy Football app, I've got all of the draft coverage recaps coming out this week um, and a bunch of rookie rankings as well, uh, post-draft rookie rankings and dynasty values. So come check us out. One of them is already up there, which, by the way, uh, this morning, uh, 
one of the ways that I prepared for this was that I, at, I, you know, I edited, I don't, I don't want to say edited uh, for those not in the, in the industry, edited doesn't mean anything bad. It's just like you ever, so everyone gets edited. But when I was looking over and editing the, the article, um, I, I learned a lot from that article, uh, especially it was, it was very interesting to notice the trades um, that went down and how cheap it was to move up this year. When you're really looking at, at what it was like, it was really cheap to move up this year. So I think the big winners are the teams that got aggressive and got their guys. And if you look on the fantasy football by Brodo app, the first round of the draft is actually up right now. And uh, Matt, I think you'll like this. I added a little feature to it. Let me see if it's, yep. It shows up on the, on the, on the app as well. Go check out that article and see if you like, uh, Ooh, see if you like the little feature. Uh, that was that was added at the end. Uh, yeah, in, in where it says the draft picks. Yeah. Anyway, with that being said, uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you so much for supporting. We love y'all, and we will see you. I think next week is our first mock draft. So ooh, always, always ooh. nice to get a little mock in. That's right. I have my first dynasty draft. Uh, my first dynasty draft is. In three days, I got a, and I got a dynasty startup in five days. I am looking forward to it, baby. Uh, I hope everyone else is too. Uh, stay tuned to the Fantasy Football by Brodo app and, of course, fantasy, uh, BrotoFantasy.com and the Fantasy Football by Brodo podcast um, for more. And uh, we love y'all and peace and love. And as Matt would say, much respect. Much love, much peace respect. Out, Later.